Hi, and welcome back to the Healthy and Happy podcast. I am uh, joined with a special guest today, Brianna Capadacano. There you go. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. <laughs> Good. Um, Brianna is um, a, a marriage family therapist in California and, um, and does a lot of really good stuff around conscious parenting and, um, and infant. Well, why don't you give us a little introduction? You'll do yes. a better job than me. <laughs> so, um, yes, that's all right. Conscious parenting and I'm a state endorsed in state endorsed infant mental health specialist, as well as a perinatal mental health specialist. So all of my work really focuses on families with young children and, um, helping parents understand how to, you know, how to have a healthy attachment with their children, how to understand their child's needs. And the way that I go about doing that is, you know, what I believe is that parents are the agent of change always. And it is through the parents when we have a really deep understanding of who we are and why we are the way that we are, we are then able to show up for our children in ways that help them feel safe, help them feel seen and heard and understood, which really is the foundation of what attachment is really all about. It is about creating a sense of safety first, emotional safety, physical safety, and trust. And when we have that as a primary building block, the child then can go out into the world and can experience the world as safe, a place that I believe I can trust others and others also find me trustworthy. So there's that reciprocity of safety and trust that is so necessary for, for all of our relationships. And what I tend to find in my practice is that the parents that come in who have, you know, quote, problematic children are really parents who struggle with their own attachment, who struggle with their own um, traumas or their own challenges, their own personal issues from childhood, and don't know how to process that because they're because children are so triggering. And when we're triggered, our attachment systems awaken. And we find ourselves in power battles with our kids because of it instead of in attachment connection moments. So that's, you know, not such a, not such a summary, but more like an overview, maybe <laughs> a deep yeah, overview. Right. A good, um, a good one. A good overview of what I do with families every day, all day for the past almost 11 years now. I, I love it. Um, attachment informs almost everything that I do um, and has for along for 25 years now yeah. and and it uh it is such an important paradigm and such such an important understanding um and i i think let's let's kind of help the listeners understand a little bit about what we mean when we're talking about attachment um and um and then maybe a little bit about attachment styles and uh and the the roadmap that gets developed and how that influences um, our relationships as we, as we move throughout our lives. Yeah. Um, do you want to start? I you want to speak to that? 
Absolutely. So um, when I talk about attachment, I am not talking about attachment parenting, which is a trendy um, thing that uses the word attachment. When I am talking about attachment, I am talking about the psychological research and study of human relationships and child parent functioning. And so what the researchers found, Bowlby was one of the first ones to, you know, kind of bring it out and it was then developed more into a real psychological theory. But what they found was we require a sense of security in our relationships in order for us to thrive and be our most optimal versions of ourselves and that when there are disruptions in our sense of safety in relationship at a very early age particularly in the first three years maybe five years if there are disruptions then we will go out into the world with a more anxious um, attachment so there are four styles of attachment that we have currently categorized so we have secure attachment which sounds exactly which is exactly as it sounds you feel good about relationships you believe you're trustworthy you believe others are trustworthy um you know you can weather the storms of life you don't really have any hang-ups you believe that people will be there to support you when you need them you feel competent and capable in being able to show up for your community in the way that they're calling upon you so secure attachment is the goal two-thirds of, ch of children end up developing a secure attachment and then the rest of the rest of the children develop some variation of anxious attachment we have anxious um, ambivalent, we have anxious avoidant, and then we have anxious disorganized. Um, the uh, ambivalent children often have parents who are not, not as consistent. So sometimes the parents are a bit more flooded by the child's emotions and needs. And then other times the parents are very responsive to the child's emotions and needs, putting this child in a position of feeling insecure. Well, what am I going to get? I don't know exactly what it is that I'm going to get. What's important though is that in this style of, of attachment, they're still organized. They can still like think clearly and process and make sense of situations. They just have like a general expectation that things are gonna be unpredictable. I, they're not so reliable. That's their general belief system. They don't know what to expect. Correct, they don't know what to expect, but they're organized in their ability to do that. And then we have the anxious avoidance. So this is the attachment style that I, um, that I, I guess, um, embodied. Came into adulthood with? Correct. I came into adulthood with an anxious avoidant. And so the anxious avoidant children are very interesting because they look like they are separating just fine from, from parents. But the research actually shows that when there are sensors on their body, that their body is in extreme distress when they're separating from their parents, but they have to learn how to shut it all down and try to keep it contained because they have learned that relationships aren't a place to go to be able Can't to be get trusted. your needs met. Correct. Yeah. They're, they cannot be trusted. So what we tend to find in anxious avoidant parent or parents of anxious avoidant children is that they are, you know, can be a bit harsher, can be a bit more dismissive, um, can be, you know, just a lot more punishing and can really make, you know, isolating. This is where we see parents who use like timeouts and those types of techniques that separate the child and say, listen, 
when you're feeling big, we don't we don't want to deal with you. We only want you when you're feeling good and happy. That's the only way to be around. So these anxious avoidant children tend to be really good at masking and um, will often find themselves avoiding relationships. Like they're the type of people that are like, I don't need anybody. I can't rely on anybody. I have to, they're, they're the high schoolers, right? Who are like, I hate doing group projects because right. nobody can contribute to the group project. They don't trust the competency of other people. So that's the anxious avoidant. And just like the anxious ambivalent, the anxious avoidant folks are also, it's an organized approach to-, to They're functioning in life. They're still functioning, right? Like you're not like you're not able to you're able to hold down a job. You're able to function pretty normally. You're even able to have relationships, but you will struggle in your relationships because you will come with this basic schema that like people are not to be trusted, people are to be avoided. And then, of course, we have the final one, which is the much much more difficult, challenging one. And uh, this is the one I worked with for five years when I worked with kids who had very serious trauma, who were in foster care, who were adopted. Um, this is called the um, anxious disorganized children. And these children are like the type that hold their hands up and they're like pushing a parent away and at the same time saying, come close to me. So when, when you look at this disorganized child, they appear disorganized. Their body and their words tend to be saying two totally different things. Um, it's pretty uh, common and what they found in the research is that children with disorganized attachment often have parents who suffered trauma and have unprocessed trauma. So parents who have not made sense of their own trauma tend to be more disorganized because trauma is very disorganizing to the psyche. So they tend to respond in a more disorganized way to the child, creating a disorganized way of being in relationships. So what we tend to see in these attachment styles here are, you know, parents who are like, let's say physically abusive, parents who hit children. And this child feels really caught in this really hard place because the person who I want to run from, or excuse me, the person who I want to run to Ooh. is also the person who is physically harming me, yeah. who I want to run away from. And so it creates this, this sense of like, whoa, no one is safe. I'm not even safe. I can't even be safe in my own body. I am constantly on high alert. So we tend to see disorganized when they become adults, tend to be pretty hypervigilant, tend to continue to act out their own trauma histories. Um, and really, these these folks do tend to really struggle in relationships and um, are definitely the types of parents who I see in therapy regularly. Yeah. Borderline personality disorder is an extreme, um, extreme version of that. Yes. Of the, of the disorganized uh, adult. Yes. Um, yeah, really, really good synopsis. And um, a couple of a couple of things that that I'll add there. Um, you know, every every human being has two fundamental needs that are with us throughout our lives. Uh, the, the first one is to is to matter, a, a sense of of worth, and and our brains assess that as you know, do, do I matter to those to whom I should matter? And the second one is a sense of love and belonging which our brains assess as, am I safe? Am I emotionally safe with those with whom I should be safe? And our brains are constantly assessing this and attachment style gets 
it gets right at the heart of those two things. And, and I think it's also important um, for listeners to understand that. So 80% research shows that 80% of our brains get wired by age three and 90% of the brain gets wired by age five. And so during those first years, the belief system around me mattering, me being able to trust that I'm going to matter to the important people and in terms of what, and also what do I expect in terms of sensitivity and availability get wired right into the brain as, as our brains get wired during those first several years of life. And so that dynamic between, um, between the infant and his or her caregivers lays the foundation and the structure that we then tend to follow for the rest of our lives uh, as, as it plays out in these attachment styles. Um, it might be helpful too, to, to talk about the kind of parenting a little more in depthly that, that leads to um, each of the attachment styles. Yeah. Um, that might be of interest yeah. to, to you listeners. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, all of these are such amazing points and I really want parents to know that attachment science or attachment theory is the most promising of every psychological theory we have out there. Hope, right? Yes, there's so much hope. We tend to think that our attachment is prescriptive. So how I attach to my parents is the prescription for how I will end up cultivating an attachment style with my children. And we actually know from research that that is not true, that attachment is actually more informative and that what is the most reliable predictor for healthy, secure attachment is actually a parent's capacity for self-reflection. Can the parent make sense of what happened to them in their past? Can the parent make sense of it doesn't have to be specific memories, but just general feelings. Did I generally feel like I mattered, like I was worthy, like I was loved? I might intellectually know that I was loved, but did I feel that really? in my core? Did I? Was that present for me? And can I make sense of what that must have been like for me then? And then can I draw the bridge and understand how that affects me now and how I show up for my children now. Can I draw that bridge and make sense of that in the present moment? So when my child is screaming and yelling at me at at 10 o'clock at night, crying, why are you leaving me? Why don't you, I want to stay with you. You're, You're leaving me in my room by myself. Can I make sense and notice, oh, I'm reacting to this and feeling like I'm abandoning my child because I have trauma from my parents actually abandoning me? Right. Can I make sense of that and then allow, free myself to see that this is typical three-year-old behavior? This is what three-year-olds do. It's a reflection of healthy attachment that my child wants to be close to me. Of course, my child wants to be close to me. That is normal that my child wants to be close to me. So I often encourage parents to like put on the attachment, the attachment lens, the framework and see ah, how I am, how I'm, how I am interpreting 
my child's behaviors and emotions starts with me and what I experienced uh, as a child. It's getting and filtered it, through that. Correct. It gets filtered through that. And then I can draw on my own resources for self-reflection, make sense of how I did experience the world, maybe even give myself some grace, give myself some compassion, show myself how good, how good I am, how enough I am, maybe give myself the messages that I did not receive in my childhood experience so that I can have a completely healthy attachment with my child. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's really, really good. Um, in terms of interactions, so um, the, the research shows that, um, that a, an, an anxious ambivalent, and um, a, ambivalent means both, for those of you that are listening. And so um, the parenting style that typically leads to an, to an ambivalent attachment um, style is, is inconsistency like Rihanna said a little bit ago, sometimes you're there, sometimes you're not. And so the, the, the child doesn't know if when they come to you, they're going to be taken in your arms and, and told everything's going to be okay, or if they're going to be told to suck it up and quit being a wimp. And so, so they're, they're unable to create a consolidated expectation around being able to trust that they're going to matter and that, that they can trust that they're going to be met with sensitivity and availability. And right. so, so if, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing something and one of my kids is like, dad, come look at this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. And dad, come look at this. And I, yeah, I'm coming. And, and I, and I keep ignoring them or not giving them a, a healthy expectation until the 15th time that they call. And then I'm like, Man, I told you that I was going to come, and you know, and, and then they get this, they get this unsafe reaction from me. That's I'm teaching my kid to not know what to expect from me, mm-hmm. and and when that's the pattern, then the child isn't able to to create a consolidated framework of what to expect, exactly. and so that that inconsistency. Is is and and I think another point here that's super important is attachment's all about pattern, right? Yes. It's, it's all about pattern. No parent, no right. spouse, no partner is is 100% healthy. And the good news is that you don't have to be to have a secure attachment. Correct. Um, yes. It's, it's about pattern. I, I heard you say that, and I wanted to point that out too. That you know, you do it once or twice. Of course, you're going to tell your child, and then you're going to lose track of time, and then you're going to blow up, and that's going to happen every once in a while. We got to give ourselves some grace and give ourselves some compassion for that. But it's when it is the when that is the routine. This is what the child has come to. Well, really, the conclusion that the child comes to is, I don't know what I'm going to get. Exactly. I don't know if there's not I'm enough of a pattern. Correct. I don't know if when I seek emotional support from my parent, if I am going to be met with compassion and curiosity and connection, or if I'm going to be met with harshness or, you know, brutality or discipline or whatever it might be. I don't know what I'm going to get. Um, And so, you know, for parents that maybe relate to that, I would say that, you know, it's probably important that we start to recognize and make sense of our own patterns. What is going on for you when, you know, if, if in this case you notice that every time your child asks for your time, 
you find yourself wanting to kind of shut down and put up a put up a block, right? You might actually this might be triggering your anxious avoidance. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you might have an anxious avoidant attachment attachment style, and this whole idea of feeling needed can be really triggering for people mm. that have an avoidant attachment style because we don't want to be needed because we have to rely on ourselves and when other people need us it's like I don't got any more time for that I'm too busy trying to just keep myself afloat I don't have time to be keeping you afloat too so then we need to reflect on that and we need to make sense of that and we need to then see that wow I've been really keeping things up by myself for so long can I can I reflect more? Can I challenge myself to seek a little bit more help, to lean on other people a little bit more, to get the experience of somebody reliably being able to be there for me, which is going to free up the psychological space that we need to then see the child's behavior as normal. And this is what I tell parents all the time. This is not a child behavior problem. The vast majority of issues for parents who come into my office and seek therapy with me has literally nothing to do with the child. The child is perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. It's our expectations and it's our own it's our own triggers, it's our own attachment attachment issues that we haven't been given guidance and skills to work through. Yeah, so so empowering because so often parents don't know what healthy is either. You know, I, they don't know right. that three-year-old, that it's normal for a three-year-old to have some of that separation anxiety. Right. And, they, um, and it's so, normal for children to want their parents' attention. Exactly. Like it's normal. It's, it's how they stay safe. And, and, you know, they, they, it's, it's connecting for them. It's, it's how children, it's how children learn that they are important, that people are watching, that people, that, so that, you know, it, it doesn't breed this sense of like entitlement of like, oh, I'm going to go out into the world and then expect everybody to always see me because that's what I got at home. That's the that's the misconception. The reality is, is that when we're not seen at home, when we are not seen, when we don't feel safe, when we don't feel soothed, when we don't feel secure, we go out into the world with an unconscious expectation that the world provided for us. Right. And then we end up reenacting the exact same patterns, finding ourselves stuck in the same kind kind of situations that we experience at home and then we wonder what is the problem why does this keep happening to me correct and then we go into victim mode and we feel like wow look at me my life is such a problem I'm I'm really I'm so bad we go right into that like inner that that little five-year-old self look how bad I am look how I'm not enough look how nobody wants to be around me I should just be punished because I'm so bad. And then we often enact punishing patterns. This is when you really just shine a light on all of it, it makes perfect sense. And it gives us a pathway to freedom. It gives us a pathway out of this for not just for the children. I always tell parents, do not conscious parent for your children. Do not do it for them. Do it for you. You do it for you. And whatever it is that you do for you, it's going to be automatically automatically beneficial for the children. So do it for you. Really a good point. Yeah. The road to narcissism isn't through secure attachment. That's true. (laughs) It's not not, um, kids that have their emotional needs met. Don't grow up to be narcissistic. And, but, but that is, that is what we tend to think. We tend to be afraid of that. That like, yeah, if, if I, if I, if I meet my kids needs too much, then they're going to be egocentric and narcissistic. And that's not the road to narcissism. Right. Um, yeah, really good point. Um, so let's talk a little bit about parenting style that leads to um, 
an avoidant um, attachment style. Yeah. Those are going to be more dismissive parents, parents who actively push the children away and who ignore the child's attempt to be connected to them. Um, so, you know, parents who yell at the children, scold the children, um, really expect them to behave in a certain way that pleases the parent and brings the parent comfort or or is convenient for the parent is definitely going to breed um, a more avoidant attachment style. If, if you cannot be dependable on an emotional level um, for the child, then the child is going to have to figure out because that's how the brain works. The brain knows how to survive and it wants to know how to survive. And so it will create a schema of, I don't survive in relationship with other people. I'm alone. I'm a lone wolf. I survive on my own. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think it's, it's imperative to go back to one of the very first challenges that the human infant brain has is what is what is the most likely strategy for me to be able to obtain and maintain access to my attachment figure the human the human infant literally dies without help we we are dependent and so that's that one of the first things that strategies that the that the little brain is trying to figure out is what what's going to work most predictably for me to be able to obtain access to you and to be able to maintain access to you. And, and in the, in the case of the avoidant um, wiring that, that happens when, when the, the strategy is, and, and what's rewarded as a, from the parenting is as long as you're not too big of a problem for me, you can hang around. Mm. You don't fuss too much. You don't make my life too difficult. You don't demand too much for me. As, as long as you're not a problem for me, you can hang around. Mm-hmm. And, and so then the child learns that, okay, I need, to, I need to go inside. I need to not be a problem. I need to not cause waves. I need to walk on eggshells. I need to, I need to, I need to cope because if I'm, if I'm a problem, I'm going to get punished and I'm going to lose access to my attachment figure. Right. And, and so that's, that's the strategy that, that that little brain develops is, okay, I, I can't count on anybody else. Right. And if I'm too needy, then, then I'm going to lose them anyway. Right. And so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build walls. And, right. um, and this is how I've learned to survive. I tell parents who have an avoidant attachment style because it's a very painful attachment style to have. It feels um, very isolating because the, 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 the misconception is, is that people with avoidant attachment style just prefer to right. be avoidant but the but the truth is is that they actually want deep deep connection but they learn to survive without it and so having it feels incredibly vulnerable and really scary to really access um, what it is that they're needing so um it's, it's always helpful to, you know, when somebody has an avoidant attachment style that they're aware of that and that if they end up partnering up, ideally they partner up with someone who is secure in their attachment style um, so that they can learn a little bit more security. Now that being said, because attachment is wired in the body by the time we're 12 months old, right? It starts at 30 weeks in utero 
That's when the wiring in the brain begins. And then the foundation for it is pretty much wired by 12 months old. That means that it's not set in stone. It's just how we learn to survive. So when we look at our attachment style as this is how I learned to survive relationships in the world, I can now find new ways to be in the world that do help me feel secure. So for the avoidant attachment individual who feels like I can't rely on other people, what would be a healthy activity for that person to practice? Well, maybe that is starting some kind of group project or getting into group therapy where you do have to actually rely on somebody to hold you and see you and support you. As, as an avoidant attachment person, that's my primary attachment. I remember the first time somebody saw me and like really like I felt like they saw me and I didn't reenact my typical pattern of just putting that wall up, right? Putting the wall up, disengage. This is bad. Move away, right? Like I didn't. I didn't go into that. I just really let myself be seen. And it was really a moment that just took my breath away. It was actually in an acting class, and it just took my breath away to be fully seen. It almost like felt like I was naked, but like in a good way. Like it felt good. Yeah, a safe way. It felt safe, and that is what the avoidant attachment person really needs is that you are safe as you can be safe and seen and appreciated for who it is you are and not who I expect you to be. So when we have parents who really push their agenda on us, I need you to be this type of person for whatever reason, their own pride, their own ego. When that is the case and we have to suppress ourselves in order to acquiesce to that, the real blossoming is being able in adulthood to step outside of that and really learn to appreciate who we are and how we've come to be who we are. Well, and I, I think you hit on something super important, which I think is one of the most imperative uh, understandings or light bulbs or paradigm shifts it, it, to understand is the subjective nature of this. Yeah, we, we take for granted that how we feel and how we think is is the objective truth yeah. and, and understanding attachment and how it works and how it got started and how it gets maintained is so empowering to recognize that securely attached people, there's, there's nothing inherently magical or different about them. They, they just, they have a different belief system. And if they can believe that, then so can you. Because the, the self-fulfilling nature of, of this is one of the most powerful and scary aspects to me. Because as an avoidant individual, you engage in relationships with walls and self-preservation and protection. Well, it, as you engage with somebody that, that is like this, <laughs> if you're healthy, you're not going to stick around for that, right? You're, you might try, hey, let me in. Hey, you can trust me. Hey, what's going on? But if you continue to be met by that, then, then a healthy individual isn't going to stay in that relationship. They're going to bail. And, and when they do, the avoidant brain frequently says, well, of course they did. Yep. Look at them. They can't handle me. Nobody can handle me. Right. Look, I'm, I'm too much right. for everybody. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and 
And that's not because of that. It's because of how you engaged in the relationship, right? It's the unconscious reenactment of exactly. how we learn to survive, which is why I, which is how it, coming into conscious parenting was just so natural, organic and effortless for me because it was like, of course, this makes perfect sense. If I am, if anyone is unconsciously reenacting the patterns they were conditioned to do in childhood, and then they are continuing to find themselves repeating the exact same narratives with their own children, well, of course, family mental health is a thing. Of course. Right. Because we're literally repeating the same patterns that are passed down to us from our from our family of origins. And I tend to work with a lot of um, people who want to break cycles. And I tell them the number one the number one way to break a cycle is to get to know yourself better, to understand why you are the way you are, and then to pull it into your conscious awareness in the moment. So when I am pushing that person away, I notice my hand is out. Exactly. And I realize it's not their job to take my hand away. It's actually my job to put my hand down. It's my job to be the parent for myself that I always needed, that right. maybe I didn't have. That's the healing work here, that, that, that this attachment science theory, I don't care whatever you call it, can really bring us and usher us into. That's why I think it's just the most promising and the most hopeful of, of fields. It's just so, it's so beautiful. It is, and, and, and so powerful. How did you recognize that you had an anxious avoidant attachment style? Well, I mean, it was in graduate school where I first even learned about this. Um, so I went to, I have an undergrad from, in drama from NYU, and um, I found the art of doing theater just incredibly therapeutic and um, really loved what I what I experienced but I but I still had really serious insecurity complexes and just struggled to be able to put myself out there and felt like I had went into the theater to just be other be something else mm -hmm. and what my theater degree really taught me was in order to be someone else like like on a from a black and white page you have to know who it is that you are in your core. And I was way too afraid to really encounter that. That felt way too vulnerable and scary for me. Um, so then when I ended up going into therapy and then deciding I wanted to be a therapist and going to my master's program and studying clinical psychology and coming across attachment theory, it was like the biggest light bulb went off in my head. I said, holy crap, this is me on a page. I felt like I was reading like the best horoscope that I've ever read in my whole <laughs> life. And I was like, oh my God, this is me. This is my mother. This I, I pinpointed every single person in my family. And then I, when I started studying family systems and really being, being trained to see the role of the parent in how the entire family develops. I was like, that's it. I must work with children and parents. I must, because it's just too late to get them when they're adults. It's just way too late. I have to work with them when they're in their early, early, early stages, because that's when it's all being set. And if I can come in and uh. intervene and put the wedge in then, well, then maybe we'll actually see some real change in how societies develop, how families function. Now, I know I'm just a small little person, but infant mental health is a huge field. And 
pretty much everybody in infant mental health is as fired up about this topic right. as I am. Right and so that's why we're all there. And um, yeah, but that's how I came into it. And that's, that's why I made that very in specific intention to work exclusively in perinatal to five. And I will never turn back. I absolutely love this population. So amazing. Well, and in my, in my opinion, you're tackling it from the right angle because you're, you're tackling it from a systemic perspective and, and, and that will really has the power to bring about change yeah. um, much more than, than just trying to tackle it from, from the infant child angle. Right. Um, so let's talk about parenting style for, for the disorganized attachment style. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, it's, it, so the disorganized, um, subculture really isn't, isn't very large. The, the other three, um, make up the bulk of the population. And, um, there's actually a, a term called the schizophrenogenic mother, um, which, yeah. which came, um, from studying, um, schizophrenic children who were, who were, um, hospitalized and, and they noticed a pattern as they started looking at, at the family interactions. And, and there was a consistent pattern where mothers would, would show up and, and the kid who had been, you know, separated from, from the parent for, you know, however long would be excited to see the mom and go up excited to, to give her a hug. And, and when, when the kid came in, these parents would, would, stiffen and get vis visibly noticeably uncomfortable and then the kid would feel that and back off and then the mother would say something like well what's the matter don't you love your mother yes. and and that that kind of um just cognitive dissonance um between the, these messages that that are that just don't jive and and right. there's 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 such a discrepancy between between the one message that's being sent and another message that's being sent frequently non-verbally that the psyche just can't make sense of that. Absolutely. And and so so where where the avoidant um, child or adult has has a consolidated expectation of not being able to trust or rely on relationships or people and that they're not going um, to, to, to matter. Um, and the preoccupied uh, or the, or the ambivalent attachment style also, you know, they, they don't, they don't know what to expect, but they're, they're but they're functioning. The disorganized person has no framework. It's, it, it is um, it's chaotic, it's chaotic. Extremely chaotic and, and there's, there's nothing, there's nothing to build on. Right. And, and so where, where the ambivalent individual is, is continually seeking, they, they seek attachment relationships, but, but they don't trust them. Right. The disorganized attachment is that on steroids. It's just totally right. chaotic. Right. The, the, the um, anxious ambivalent is the, the friend who falls in love immediately right and then gets herself set up for rejection and the disorganized uh, the disorganized person doesn't even know how to be in in a relationship really in any kind of coherent cohesive way 
So um, the parents often have, like I had said earlier, unprocessed trauma that keeps them in a pretty hypervigilant state themselves. So like these are the types of parents that like, I hit you because I love you, right? Right. Um, type of people um, who maybe are in abusive relationships, right? So we see a lot of chaos and a lot of family violence that has to do um, when there's a children, when there's a child or children with disorganized attachments. Um, there's a lot of fear and very, very legitimate uh, fear, not just like, you know, I'm not going to give you a cookie if you don't, you know, right. <laughs> go to bed on time. It's not that level of, of fear. It's, it's real right. fear. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm, you're never going to see me again. I'm going to leave right. you. Right. right? I'm going to leave get out of the car. We're driving down the road. Get out of the car. And get, get out of the car, figure it out. I'm going to leave you and I'm never going to come back. And then when the child when, when they do reunite, what's the matter? I don't understand why, why there's a problem here. Yeah, why are you so, being such a wimp? Why are you being such a baby about this? There's a lot of bullying, actually, that goes on in the disorganized attachment um, that is that, that the child cannot comprehend. They don't have the, they don't have the brain functioning to, to make sense of like, wow, this is really dysfunctional behavior. Children accept the circumstances for whatever they are. They, they don't have, know any different. They don't know any different. They have no reason to believe that that relationships are different from what I am currently experiencing. And that's why it can be such a difficult pattern um, to break. And really, like, these folks need need really good therapy and great trauma processing. And, yeah, heart-wrenching. Uh, yeah, a lot of support for sure. Um, you said another thing a little bit ago that is also really important and, and that, you know, as you, as you're doing the work on yourself, one of the kind of litmus tests that you can use is, is how, how, how much does it take to get you disorganized or undone emotionally? You know, it, it it's a uh, good question. It, I kind of think about it as, as unraveling, you know, how, how much does it take? to unravel you? How many loose threads do you have that when somebody starts pulling on them, you, you come undone? And the, the more put together we are, the more solid we are, the, the more it takes to undo us right. and the more we can stay in, be a secure base and stay in a safe place for our children because, because we're staying in our, in our upper brains and we're able to, to parent much less reactively from that place. Yeah, that's a really um, interesting metaphor and I really like it. Um, and what I like to remind parents is that the more you reflect and make sense of your past, the less reactive you are, the more you can actually see it happening in the moment. It's always my greatest joy when a parent comes into therapy and they're like, I recognized in the moment that I was flipping out and I was able to ground myself, bring myself back to safety, connect with my child, and it was not a problem. Yeah, that's awesome. So when parents come and they're like, well, I want all the quick, all the quick tips. Tell me how do I discipline my child? How do I get my right. child to listen to me? How do I get my child to follow, di follow directions, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I have to be very gentle and loving when I remind them it's not about that. Right. It's about the relationship that you have with your child. A mutually respectful 
relationship, one that is has the foundation of compassion and connection, is going to be naturally more collaborative. Because as a species, we are literally designed to be collaborative. That's who that's our nature. Yes, that's the that's the beauty about being a human being is you want to be collaborative and you want to be in relationship with other people. So when that is not present, and I'm not talking about typical normal child pushback, I'm talking about kids really there's a lot of power struggle dynamics in the the family then we must work on the relationship it's a must and it's not the mom doing all the work and then directing the dad it's mom working on her relationship with the children and dad working on his relationship with the children so go ahead them working on their relationship with each other well, I don't. I don't even touch that with a ten foot pole. I leave that to the to the experts. I tell parents I don't do couples counseling. I will work with you with your child. That is my specialization. But yes, we absolutely need to take care of all of our relationships: the relationship that we have with ourselves, the relationship we have with our partners, the relationship that we have with our children, and then that just naturally extends out into all the other important relationships that we have in our lives the the community people our extended relatives our church leaders our school teachers and principals all of these are important relationships for us to be nurturing and caring and to be mindful about and when we start at the home front it just allows us to organically approach life in this way yeah absolutely because you're there are the other thing that I think is important to remember here is that there are certain things that a that a primary attachment relationship can only healthfully provide. There there are certain things that we are entitled to receive from that primary attachment relationship that we can't healthfully get in in other relationships because they they're not in a position to be able to to predictably provide them to the level necessary to, to establish and maintain a secure base. And, and so you, you, you really do have to start with those primary attachment relationships and, and move out from there. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead, please. I was going to say, let's, let's not leave out um, the kind of parenting that leads to a, a secure attachment style. Yes, of course. So um Tina Payne Bryson and Dr. Dan Siegel outlined it so beautifully and simply in their book, The Power of Showing Up. They said, children need to feel safe, they need to feel seen, they need to feel soothed, and then from that they feel secure. So the four S's. Children feeling safe is both physical and emotional. Most parents get down the physical aspect of safety. Most of us Many parents, I should say, struggle with the emotional aspect of safety uh, because most many of us were not raised with emotionally with with emotionally safe, emotionally attuned parents. So what does that look like? What do we know um, emotional safety really is? Well, it's our ability to join in the child's emotional experience, not get wrapped up in it. Right. That's not emotionally safe when I also panic with you. Right. But when I see that you're panicking and I see that you're having a hard time and my face and my body language and my tone and my pacing really matches that I see that, my child then has an organized experience of, oh, okay, they notice what's going on. I'm not alone in this. 
And when a child has enough experiences of not feeling alone in whatever tr struggle it is, this child then creates a sense of security. Okay, I can go out into the world and I know that if I'm having a tough, have tough time, I can, I can manage it. I can get the support that I need. As opposed to like lack of emotional attunement, right? Oh, you're fine. Oh, stop it. Stop crying. Don't you know boys don't cry? You look like a little wimp at school. What are you doing like that? That's not how we do. That's not what we do. Men in our, boys don't cry. Or, oh, honey, you know, you're you're getting a little that that type of behavior isn't what we do right you're a girl emotional right yeah this is you 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 need to take care of of other people honey you know you're a little too you're a little too intense you're a little too assertive you know that's people aren't going to like that people don't like girls who are like that so this lack of emotional attunement is going to make us feel like we're not seen which is going to create that schema of gosh i'm just not worthy as i am I'm not enough as as I am. I'm not worthy of being seen. And when you grow up feeling like you are not worthy of being seen, you're definitely going to project that out into the world. You're going to you're going to carry that sense of rejection out into the world and you're going to either expect it or you're going to be the one acting it out. So that's the sense of feeling seen. And then of course, feeling soothed is as simple as it sounds. When a child is in pain, when a child is needing, how quickly are they able to be soothed? I always ask parents of any child, when your child was a baby, how quickly were you able to soothe that child? And how easy was it for you? And it tells me so much about their relationship. Because when a child is in pain, it is dysregulating. It does feel uncomfortable for us as parents when our children are in pain. But if we meet that with, oh my gosh, I got to make this stop, find a way to get my child not to be in pain so I can be good, we create a codependent relationship. Child, I need you to be happy so I can be happy. I can't be happy if you're not happy. Right. Then the child, does, then the child doesn't get this sense of, oh, my parent can effectively soothe with me. My parent can effectively co-regulate with me. And we know now that children's brains are not able to independently self-regulate until they're almost 30 years old. And yet we have six-month-old and four-month-olds trying to self-regulate for 12, 14 hours a night. Right. Right? And then we, and, and then we, we, don't, and we don't question it. We, you know, we say, well, parents need to sleep. I agree, parents need to sleep, but this is not an issue of parents need to sleep. This is an issue of lack of support, lack of general support for parents. Yes, parents need to sleep, and yes, children need to know that somebody will be there to soothe them. It's not Both, either or. It's not either or, but the fact that we have to choose between one or the other does not mean that a parent is at fault or that the baby is wrong. It simply means that the system in which we are operating is deeply, deeply flawed. I had, a, I had a supervisor who was from Israel who made a comment one day, and it's always stayed with me. She said, I feel like American policies are anti-attachment. And I, was, I, I have sat with that almost every day, and I thought, she is absolutely right. American policies all the way down to our parental leave the fact that dads get less leave than moms right what kind of message is that sending the fact that many women are returning to the workforce while they're still bleeding they're not even healed they're going back into the workforce really shows how little we care about attachment so 
I also want parents to understand that like we live in a system that does not really know how to support attachment. So if this feels hard, if this feels overwhelming, if this feels like a like a struggle for you, you for are sure. not a it's yeah, you're not alone. You got to call the people who who you're voting in and demand better policies, more, you know, parental leave, 12 months, 15 months. That's a good amount of time for the child to feel safe and secure and soothed and for the parents too to also develop a sense of safety, security and soothing with their own child for them to have the confidence I know what I'm doing. And right. then we can go out into the world and practice the art of separation, which is the next stage of yeah. attachment, right? Separation and then reunification. That's the that's the more evolved stage of, of attachment. Right. But we expect that to happen right away. We expect that to happen on day two. And it just it just kind of boggles my mind. Yeah. It is. It's it, it and it's it's lack of understanding, right? It, and it's it's, yeah. it's 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 sending it's perpetuating these these unhealthy beliefs that that just aren't don't work right um yeah and i also think it's important to to mention and and to understand that attachment is really a, about what happens when we are in need it's it's when, when we are and you you mentioned it a little bit ago brianna but when when we are disorganized emotionally when we're experiencing some sort of intense emotion, that can be a positive emotion or a negative emotion, right? It might be when I'm embarrassed or I'm nervous. It might also be when I'm, um, when I'm really happy about something or when I'm turned on. It's, it's when we're experiencing an intense emotion. Those are attachment moments. And so what happens in terms of sensitivity and availability during, in, in terms of being seen and feeling safe and being soothed and, and, then, and then consequently secure. What happens in those attachment moments is what we're talking about here. Yes. It's, not, it's not the, you know, you're having dinner or you're watching TV or right. it's, attachment is about what happens when we're in emotional need. Yes, yes, and, when, we are, when we are stressed or, or any other kind of emotion. And are we able to, are we able to make the time to attune to the child. Are we able to get present, the present moment? Attachment really lives in the present moment. Are we able to find a sense of presence? And then are we able to offer our, our affection, our care, our genuine, genuine, authentic express, expression of care to our children? Um, I like to remind parents too that it, this isn't something that like another thing that you have to do Right. Parents feel very overwhelmed. I have to yeah. do so much. Oh, now I have to care about my relationship with my child and how I'm developing my relationship with my child. That seems like too much. And I like to remind parents that secure attachment really is easily built. It's, it's actually takes a lot of effort to create an insecure attachment. It takes a lot more effort. It's unconscious. But it really is a lot of effort. Whereas with just a little bit of conscious effort and intentionality, you can create with your child a really lovely, secure attachment. What the research shows is anywhere from five to 15 minutes a day of being present 
in the child's world with the child, affirming them, validating them, and really giving your child those three things that I mentioned, time, presence, and affection. Of course, we spend way more than 15 minutes a day with our children, but like those oftentimes we're very distracted. Well, I'm making dinner. I'm getting ready for work. I'm putting you to bed. I'm doing all the other things that I have to do. But can we spend five to 15 minutes of just snuggle time reading together, being present to the same thing together, whether that's building blocks or putting together puzzles or watching you put together Legos or hearing about your day, 15 minutes really is all that is necessary it's totally doable and it makes our lives everybody's life that much more enjoyable truly and easier when you're talking about ease versus difficulty the 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 roi the return on your investment of of being a secure base is tremendous as, as your children age and work their way through the life cycle. Um, I, I want to point out one more thing too, for those of you that are listening that, that might be worried about spoiling your children or, or if you're thinking that, that this is about enabling or molly coddling your, your child, your child, it's not. In fact, the research is so clear that, that children and adults, individuals with a secure attachment style are much more effectively able to explore in their lives. A secure base, one of the main functions of a secure base is a launch pad. It enables us to be able to go and explore and and to be able to devote our our resources in exploring because we have the confidence that when and or if I need it, I I can have that reunification. I can have the secure base that I can go back to. And so I don't have to be monitoring and worrying the entire time that I'm out here. Are you still there? Are you still there? I don't have to worry about that as I'm out exploring because I have the confidence. I have the mental schemata that that you're going to be there. And so it actually makes for more confident children. It makes for kids that, that are able to develop their talents that are able to to study better that are able to do better in sports and they're able to they're able to explore their lives because they're able to to be more emotionally organized and when we're disorganized emotionally a certain percentage of our resources automatically get diverted to trying to get reorganized and when when we have somebody helping us be able to do that it can happen really quickly and we can return to exploration really quickly Absolutely. It's like building your house on a concrete slab versus building your house on, you know, sticks. Right. I'd much rather build my house on a concrete slab because I know it's going to weather storms. It's going to be a lot easier to stand strong when the inevitable storms of life come in. So this whole idea that seeing a child and supporting a child emotionally causes them to be spoiled is really, I think, our, our conditioning. And our, our internal childism, how afraid we are to see an empowered child who feels seen and heard and respected and understood. I think it's more a reflection of our own inner pains of not having received that because this is really, the, the idea of parenting in this way is still um, alternative. It's it's really not, a, it's not a mainstream approach to parenting. Now notice I'm, I am suggesting that we give three primary things to, to, to our children. We give them our time, we give them our presence, and we give them our affection. That's, that's a main message of mine. I'm not saying you shower them with gifts. 
I'm not saying you buy them every single thing at Target that they ask for. I'm not saying you give them a cookie every single time they do a quote good job. I'm not saying that. That certainly can lead to entitlement and spoil because right. what we're doing is we're taking materialism and using material gifts as a way to show our affections but really it's a subtle way to control because then I can take away these things that I've shown my affection with I can take them away when you are not behaving the way that I have asked you to be or I expect you to be so it creates a really a subtle a subtle but but profound way to be in a controlling relationship which is not a secure attachment a no. secure attachment is found is founded on trust as the parent i trust my child and i trust myself and as the child i trust my parent and i believe they trust me so i eventually learn that i can trust myself that's the goal and that is the foundation for self-esteem we can't talk about poor self-esteem if we are not willing to talk about attachment and trust these are all absolutely topics that just build on top build of on, each other yeah. i um yeah i i could ran i could talk to you all day long this <laughs> i know me too <laughs> super, super wonderful and i and i really appreciate your time thank you um, for having me any um any sort of final what you just said was a great a great summary but any final thoughts that you'd like to share I just want parents to know that you are you are so good. You are doing so good. You are probably doing better than you realize. Um, and if you can really look to your own goodness every day, understand yourself a little bit more every day, it's what is going to allow you to see your child's goodness and open yourself up to seeing exactly who your child is not who you expect them to be not who you want them to be not who you believe you're raising them to be but exactly who they are and it's a beautiful journey stay the course and keep on keep on going you've got yeah. it excellent i i cannot recommend the work that you're doing enough um such such great stuff and great insight Give us your website, your Instagram. Yes. So, or whatever it's called. <laughs> yes. So you can find me on Instagram if you want to follow me and learn a little bit more about the teachings that I offer at Conscious Mommy. Um, and then all of my, my workshops and classes are online. They're virtually um, offered. And you can find those at learning.consciousmommy.com. And if you need any conscious parent coaching sessions, um, you can get all of that information you can just DM me and I can give you that information and I can support you there. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so, so very much. Thank you, Dr. Slade.